Hi, everyone. Welcome to this virtual conversation dedicated to the first step in implementing a digital inventory. My name is Katie Sinzi, and I am the managing editor at 3D Adapt Media. I have the honor to moderate this panel between Braid, Glass, and Avaro that are here present. And we are going to talk about uh, the digital inventory ecosystem and the main stakeholders that surround it. So most of you have probably already heard about the concept of digital inventory, a concept that is appealing for organizations which have a physical inventory and that do not always know exactly what your true costs are at the end of the year. And once combined with additive manufacturing, a digital inventory modus operandi seems a great alternative, as this combination may help address quantity requirements and on the stock part issues. Today's virtual conversation aims to discuss the number of questions regarding the various stakeholders that come into play when implementing a digital inventory ecosystem. The main steps to achieve to implement one, the manufacturing countries and even security and intellectual property uh, issues surrounding this topic. And before we dive into our conversation, I would like to, to, to remind the audience that, as always, they can ask any questions in the Q&A chat in front of them, and then I will publish it for our panelists uh, who are here present. And now I, I would like to give the floor to Alvaro so that uh, he can introduce himself as well as the company he's working for. Hello, everyone. My name is Alvaro Forero. I am working for Vivo Systems. Um, we are a security company and started more than 30 years ago. And we are speciali specialized in protection and monetization of software, hardware, and data. Uh, we are based in Germany, so our headquarters are in Karlsruhe, and we have su subsidiaries around the world. Uh, my role in Vivo Systems, I am head of CERT, so my team, we are responsible for the management of the security incidents in our products. And I am also part of the security experts team in the in the company. And yeah, I've been working for Vivo Systems for the last uh, 12 years. Hello, thank you, Alvaro. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you're, you're able to join our virtual panel today. What about you, Vlad? Yeah, so my name is uh, Klaus Swerberg. I'm working in uh, DNV. DNV is a company working in certification, qualification, and uh, basically anything related to risk. Um, I'm working in the Department of uh, Materials and Technology, uh, where I'm uh, uh, dealing with uh, with the integrity of uh, components and materials, and then specifically additive manufactured materials. Um, so my background is from mechanical engineering. Uh, I recently finished my PhD with the topic uh, fatigue design of additively manufactured components. Um, then I also started to get involved with the digital aspects of uh, additive manufacturing. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Glad. And uh, last but not least, Brian, can you go ahead? Thank you. My name is uh, Bray Delarum. I work for Equinor, the largest energy company in Norway. I must say we used to be an oil and gas company, but we're now moving very fast into a more sustainable uh, situation. Yeah. Uh, and we now define ourselves as a broad uh, energy company and also very dedicated to find uh, more sustainable solutions from within the energy industry. Uh, I'm also um, I'm head of the Additive Manufacturing uh, Center of Excellence in Equinor. I'm also uh, chairman of the Field Made Digital Inventory Project, where we're developing a software platform for digital inventory. And I'm also chairman of the network called AM Energy. Uh, that's uh, an international network for uh, additive manufacturing. Yeah, thank you, Brad. Uh, just a quick note for, for my co-panelists, uh, please, when you're not speaking, maybe try to mute yourself so that we can, uh, so that we do not have uh, the echo when uh, when we listen to you, to the others, I mean, to the person who is speaking. So, so yeah, let's start straightforward. We usually 
talk about a transition towards digital inventory. Does that mean that the first condition to implement a digital warehouse should necessarily be to have an existing physical warehouse? And I'm starting with Brett. Okay, um, the quick answer is uh, no. Actually, you don't need a an existing physical inventory to get the benefits of the new uh, digital inventory. And I would spend a couple of, a couple of seconds to explain uh, why. And that is because the benefits are really manifold. It's not just reducing the physical inventory. Of course, that's an important part of it. Uh, but what you can add to that is that you can also reduce lead time which might end up being an even bigger uh, benefit, both for the suppliers, but also for uh, the end users, for the operators. And also re reduction in lead time might lead to uh, reduced production loss. If you're in a situation where you have a component failure and your production stops, of course, time is important. And if you can reduce the lead time by using the digital inventory, then of course you can reduce your production cost. But one area we haven't really discussed too much is the way we can use the whole ecosystem to, to create design improvement faster, using the opportunities within additive manufacturing, focusing on the opportunities within digital design, and using the whole ecosystem with the different roles that we have uh, set up. Now, uh, is it okay if I just show you a, a quick picture of how we uh, see that the um, digital inventory ecosystem should look like? Is that okay? Yes, Brian, that's perfectly fine. Please show us. Just to show you how different the new uh, ecosystem will look like compared to today. It's really a transformation using new technology. And as you can see here, we envision that you will have a digital ecosystem in the middle, and then you can purchase digital parts, digital design from anywhere in the world. Okay. It could be from Singapore or Silicon Valley or Italy, it could be anywhere. Mm -hmm. And then the idea is then you transport your digital parts through digital means, and you can produce the part locally, okay. wherever you need your parts. So then that means you can use additive manufacturing in your factories, and that means you can produce the parts locally. Right. And also you move to a production to order philosophy. So instead of keeping large inventories, just keep them digitally and you produce a part when you need it, where you need it, according to this uh, model here. And it really opens off a completely new flexibility. And the last benefit I haven't told about yet is the sustainability. You can reduce transport, you can reduce the amount of raw materials that you take out because you reduce the physical components in your physical inventories. And of course, we can come back to all the details, but the sustainability for me is a very important part of this new way of working. All right. Thank you, Braid. Um, so for those of you who haven't had the possibility to see the map that Braid just showed. It will probably come back to, to this map at the end of the conversation. So please be assured that uh, Braid will ask, or uh, I mean, will we'll come back to this before the end of the panel. Um, so uh, class, what type of path should one analyze for a digital inventory? I think, um... When starting uh, to looking for what should be used for digital inventories, I think uh, we need to realize that we are actually in the beginning of this. Um, and for example, aiming at extremely complex and critical mm -hmm. parts might be difficult. So I think what we are um, looking at is, is aiming for parts with lower criticality, mm -hmm. parts that uh, have a kind of uh, 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 regular interval uh, with replacements so that uh, it's easy to know when it's going to be replaced or when like for example wear parts that you can measure the wear and you can replace it when it's worn down um, and it should also be parts that uh, yeah parts that are easy to inspect um, so that it's easy to have a good quality control and that we can build trust in uh, in having digital uh, inventories 
I think it's very easy to aim for the or to have an idea of these complex uh, parts for additive manufacturing, but I don't necessarily think that's the main advantage here. I okay. think here we want to to reduce the the lead time. We want to deliver parts on demand, and we want to have them with the right quality and the right material at the right time. Right. So then I think uh, the less complex parts are uh, would be a very good place to start. All right, um, Brad. I don't know if you would like to to add something because I know Equino, you know, can bring some parts as a, as an energy company. Yes, um, I agree that it's a good idea to start uh, mm -hmm. with the more simpler parts. But uh, through our efforts within digital inventories, we are using two greenfield projects as pilot projects. So one is the Johan Kasberg field and the other is the Johan Sverdrup phase mm -hmm. two. And of course, we have to look into not necessarily the complexity of the part, but the criticality. And if the criticality is high, then we need to replace it within one or two days. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's difficult to see that you can do on-demand production uh, within one or two days. But with intermediate criticality, then you have to fix the problem within 45 days. Mm -hmm. And in that case, you can replace the philosophy from taking out of the physical inventory to actually on-demand production of, of the part. Um, so yes, it's a good way to start, but in the work together with those two Greenfield projects, uh, we are looking into both critical and less critical parts, complex and less complex uh, parts. But we find really important is to look into the total cost of ownership. Mm. So we shouldn't just look at isolated the, the cost of the production of the part, but looking into the total perspective. If you can improve the design, if you can extend the lifetime and so on, of course, then uh, you can look into the original cost of the component with different eyes and also um, the speed of uh, how you can produce it uh, is also important in that. Uh, the other area is that I would like to say that additive manufacturing has been really a catalyst for introducing the digital inventory. But as soon as you have the digital inventory, it's not the only technology that is possible to use for on-demand production. Mm -hmm. You can also look into CNC machining, which is equally applicable. But I've also read now that some companies, they also produce uh, electronic circuits on demand. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think really in the future, we can expand the idea of what kind of components we can produce uh, on demand. All right. Um, so let's uh, move a little bit from component to stakeholders brain. So in an additive manufacturing production process, I will focus now on AM as uh, as this is the main uh, editorial focus of this feature panel. There are various software considerations to take into account, sometimes from various software publishers. There are also material considerations as class just mentioned and even post-processing requirements to meet. So what are, according to you, all the various stakeholders who can be involved once a digital inventory system is implemented? Mm. Um, what we have done in this um, digital supply network model yeah. that we are working on uh, within the digital inventory concept, uh, we are really dividing the suppliers into different roles. Mm -hmm. And of course, this uh, network is quite complex and we have many different roles and I can mention some of them. For instance, the IP owners, the original equipment manufacturers, um, they are very important here and today they are dedicated to uh, sell physical parts mm -hmm. but in the future we believe that they should focus more on producing digital parts and mm -hmm. sell digital designs rather mm -hmm. than the physical because the physical can be produced in dedicated factories and that is okay. of course the second type of suppliers that is the on-demand factories that can produce parts fast with high reliability, repeatability, mm -hmm. so that the whole concept of producing on demand actually works. Uh, in addition, you have engineering companies. Usually mm -hmm. they work on our behalf. They are responsible for large projects, modifications and uh, constructions. Then of course they could be 
an important partner in this um, network. Mm -hmm. Then you have the verifiers like a class here from a DNB, it could be TIFF, it could be Lloyds and so on. Uh, in many cases, we need a third party um, evaluation to ensure that we have the right quality. We need to have certified factories and so on. Mm -hmm. Then we have the logistics providers, uh, yeah. even though we want to produce parts locally, still you need maybe some transport uh, to the end user. For instance, in, uh, in Norway, we have a lot of offshore installations mm -hmm. and actually we are looking into transporting 3D printed parts with drones oh. out to the platforms that we have in the North Sea. So cool. that's really bringing the just-in-time philosophy really out there to, to the end, end user. So logistics is important, uh, and of course the end user is very important here. Could be yeah. an energy company, but as soon as you have the whole network in operation, it could be equally applicable to any other industry. Mm -hmm. So it's really an universal concept. So mm -hmm. uh, the end user could be really anything. Could be in the defense industry. Yeah. Could be uh, automotive. Could be aerospace. Could be anything. All right. I, I will not focus only on one aspect, one consideration that you highlighted from the very beginning, and which is IP consideration. And I would like to ask Alvaro, a security expert, why he thinks IP can be a critical consideration here? Mm, yeah, so I, I like very, very much the way Brit was explaining the, the whole different stakeholders, because if we start with the producer or OEMs, if they start to moving from producing hardware or physical parts more to digital content, then if they sell one part, then how are they sure that no one will just copy this part and sell that to other people? So once you sell, you send the file, the file set, the design leaves your company, mm -hmm. then you lost the control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really like this question because uh, many customers and people working with additive manufacturing, they came to us because they were not aware of, of the risks that are inherent of this new philosophy and new way that we start to see the world and the production. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so if we start at the, at the producers, there is a, this, this topic. The second is when you want to, to control how many parts get really produced. Mm -hmm. So you need a way to control that how, how many how many parts at the end when they they get printed or produced mm -hmm. uh, were at really uh, printed and not more than than you intended and then they will sell this in the in the black market yeah i see then if we take the next uh, whole uh, stakeholder for example the engineering companies maybe the the designer they they get, give them a, a cad file and then mm -hmm. they are doing all the conversion to geometry files for example stl file, files and then they are doing all the engineering to find figure out which are the best configuration for the material which are the best part orientation um and part uh, uh, yeah how to put everything in the printing chamber so there is also intellectual property in the process so not only the design but also the expertise of printing the parts okay this is also that that they develop during the time so if at the end you can just extract or export configuration and someone just copy this then they will lose also their intellectual property because someone will learn from the process they took they, uh, they needed the time to to get where we are there okay. and the next step would be the, the printers itself mm -hmm. so these are also oems so they are producing printing machines so they have an interest that the machines that they are not copied that they are not counterfeiting of the very good machines Mm -hmm. So this also has intellectual properties of the so the software in the machines, uh, which is very valuable because they put a lot of effort and research efforts uh, creating new new software. Yeah, and then right. if they just get copied, then someone could just copy the machine one to one. So this is also what we see not only in the additive manufacturing sector, in all other machine builders that are customers of of Bibu Systems, where we are helping to protect their machines also again counterfeiting yeah so, so those so are the, the the main the main assets the, um, that main we can talk over. about and and where the ip protection is distributed in the in the chain the production chain oh 
But Alvaro, what could uh, a complete intellectual property protection look like? I mean, protection, IP protection landscape look like? Yeah, so there are many challenges there because um, the first is you need to protect the, the, the design files for mm -hmm. the next stakeholder. So you need to have a way to control who has access to this. So you need a, a way to assign first to protect files. So if you talk, if we talk about protection, we talk about cryptography. So mm -hmm. it means automatically we have some encryption keys, which means automatically you need to give someone these keys. And if you just copy the keys or everyone can, can copy the key, we, we end up on the first problem that we had. You just copy the, the, the file. Right. So this is this is the uh, the first challenge where to put the encryption keys and for that we are contributing in with our technology that we have secure elements hardware elements and software uh, containers and cloud solutions to put and protect these encryption keys and then we put on top um, this uh, digital right management system so because the next step is how to distribute these rights Mm -hmm. If you start controlling who is able to get these keys, it means you need to control that somehow. And this is also part of the, the solution. So now you change from giving the people the control uh, of who has permission to, to open these encrypted files. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Um, Maybe I, one... Aspect yeah. I forgot, or, or no, I, I would like to mention yeah. now. So maybe I will mention that later. But I think it's a good point now, a good moment, yeah. is that to, oh. to control how many parts get produced at the end, which I, okay. I said before is also an issue, a security issue. And for that, you would need to have a sort of security uh, a safe counter mm -hmm. that cannot be manipulated. And for that, you, you need to put this like an, on a kind of prepared prepaid card or some hardware element that cannot be just easily manipulated. Mm -hmm. And so we are also working here directly with printer manufacturers. So they put in their firmware the possibility to count and to decrement these safe counters. That's very interesting. I like that idea of prepaid or prepaid system or prepaid card, as you, as you just highlighted. Uh, but but uh, if we focus on, the, on manufacturing itself, um, can we say that bad consistency is always met in a digital inventory system a process? How do we ensure that, Glass? Um, yes, I think we can if we go through a qualification process first. Yeah. So from DNW, we have a recommended practice for for metal additive manufacturing. Mm -hmm. uh, where we divide parts into criticality levels. So we have uh, different additive manufacturing categories, one, two, three, and then one is parts of low criticality and three is parts of high criticality. Okay. Um, and then uh, we have defined it uh, so that all parts need to have a qualified build process. That, need, that means you have to uh, define a set of parameters. You need to mm -hmm. print uh, some specimens tensile test, microstructure, hardness, porosity distributed within the chamber mm -hmm. uh, and perform those tests um, and have a controlled atmosphere. Uh, and then you have kind of a, a control process, which is qualified. Then oh. if you're going for uh, higher uh, critical parts uh, added to manufacturing two, uh, category two or three, uh, then uh, you're going to need uh, production testing on the, on the print file when you print the part. Uh, so at first you qualify the process and then you print some specimens, test specimens on the side of your part to test the consistency of the material quality. Okay. And then on the most critical parts, uh, also destructive testing of the part is needed to, to, to check the process. Okay. So, so following that regime, we believe that we can uh, ensure uh, part consistency. And um, yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because when you were talking, uh, uh, you were also a little bit explaining that process of quali qualification. So is that consistency directly linked to qualification of each uh, item um, throughout the additive manufacturing value chain? 
yes, I believe that's why you're doing the qualification to uh, to ensure uh, part consistency and material property consistency. Okay. All right. So so um, but speaking of uh, of uh, of uh, of qualification, we also have um, this uh, readiness level concept. So you can have parts in a digital inventory that are uh, not that have a lower readiness level. So that means that uh, you need to qualify something mm -hmm. after it's ordered, mm -hmm. or you can pre-qualify it and have it uh, ready for order, kind of. So that depends on how you want to structure your business model. And do you want to pre-qualify everything and have it delivered fast, or do you want to to have longer time for delivery and then do the testing? So there are different methods of different ways of doing this. We believe. All right. Um, I don't know if Bright uh, wants to add something. Yes, <laughs> I would like to add something. This is really uh, critical for this uh, ecosystem to function uh, because we need to be quite sure that um, if you produce a part in northern Norway or in Italy or in Germany or in Brazil or anywhere in the world, you get the same result. Yeah. So the repeatability is really critical. And uh, I know that uh, 3D printing is not plug and play yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, we know that we get uh, different results uh, with local conditions. So we really need to ensure that uh, the qualification work and certification work is done so that we know that uh, the result would be the same uh, anywhere. All right. Thank you, Bray. Um, so is it possible to have a measurable result? Uh, I mean, like... A a percentage that enable companies to know what they save when they reduce the physical inventory by adopting AM uh, or when or when they move towards a digital inventory modus operandi. Yes, I'll just continue uh, <laughs> then, uh, Katie. Yeah. Um, this is truly a transformation. And in some areas, it's rather easy to uh, measure uh, the success but maybe not in all areas. Um, but I strongly believe that we are talking about some sort of Kodak moment here. Uh, yeah. And if you're in this transformation and you succeed there, then you will see new business opportunities. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you stick to the old, then you might see a reduction in uh, your possibilities in the market. So that's really something we have to bear in mind. Um, mm -hmm. And that is measurable. Uh, but it's important to uh, see that the cost reduction that we expect will be throughout the network, not just for the producer, not for just for the end user, but for, for everyone. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, the total cost of ownership is a very important term to be able to show the total uh, cost savings throughout. Mm -hmm. And for instance, by instead of having a linear supply chain that we are used to with many stepping stones on the way, uh, with many possibilities of delays, you have controls, you have administration, you have costs, and even sometimes lack of trust. Then of course, moving to a network-based uh, supply model, then we expect that it will be much faster less administration, we can easily implement smart contracts so that you'd reduce uh, the administration and so on. And that cost benefit will benefit, of course, everyone in this uh, network uh, model. So the reduction in inventory is, of course, very highly relevant for the end user, but also for all the different suppliers because mm -hmm. they can reduce the inventory levels uh, as well. And then how can we measure the uh, implications of reduced lead time. Mm -hmm. That will really help us improving um, production uh, and progress in projects and so on. So in some cases we might even, we know that it, there's a benefit, but it might be hard to, to measure. Mm -hmm. And the last area is with this new model, you can improve your design much, much faster than mm -hmm. in the old model. And what is the value of a fast improved design that is also really uh, 
interesting and important to to see in the future how this yeah. will really uh, work out oh thank you yeah that's it yeah Alvaro, you're muted yes maybe i i would like to add i was thinking what could i add to be to this very good question but i i think you covered a lot <laughs> but but i i so i think i will just add that um the part of counting the the produced parts is what I meant before that. For example, if you want to know how many parts were produced, if they if they buy the part, the parts or, or the rights to buy um, to print one thousand parts from the digital design, for example, then you maybe will like to know if there is a feedback. They do they really produce these thousand parts they bought, or they they uh, they produced only five hundred. So so if you have these counters which are, are secure, you can also get information like reporting systems, how many parts were uh, already uh, produced. So this is also some of our customers are interested on this and communicated to us this, this mm -hmm. that they would like to know this information for, for, their, for their reports and analysis. All right. Oh, Avaro, uh, do you have any uh, landscape that may enable us to better visualize this IP protection landscape? Um, let me yeah. see. Um, Why Alvaro is uh, is checking? I would like to to remind the audience that they can still ask their questions right now, as this is the the bright time for for the panelists to answer any questions you may have regarding this topic. Um, I, I think I can share one one slide uh, we were All using right. from. from um, let me see. Yeah. So I will select, uh, okay, all to share very quickly. So now you should see that it's loading. So now you should see it. So let me jump to this slide. So yeah. we presented, we did a presentation on the German Japanese additive manufacturing camp mm -hmm. like one month ago. Mm -hmm. And so here we were explaining from, from our perspective and, and how we could uh, contribute uh, to to protect this, so we were talking before about the, the stakeholders. So we see, you see here the producer, designer. So if you need to protect the the 3D file, or mm, if you need to do some pre-processing, and then you will have a print job that we, you would like also to protect, and then you have the printer. And this is what what I meant that that from a digital right management system, which is this circle here, you will get distribute the rights. So the software can use the, the encryption keys to decrypt the, the 3D file and the printer will also get keys to decrypt the printing job and will also get the counters. Um, and you can have here uh, like a hardware device or software files like encrypted files to protect that counters. And so what we see here is that you need as I was mentioning before, if you start using encryption keys and uh, you will have on the top um, the challenge of how to manage all these. For example, if you talk about uh, something very simple, uh, email encryption, then the technology for an email encryption is there. The problem is usually the management of the cer digital certificates. And some people mm -hmm. use PGP, other people use SMIME certificates, and maybe you have uh, so and some people working with one or people working with another so you now have for, for to provide this security you need some some additional challenges like how to distribute and manage the the access to the to the encryption keys and for how long maybe you want to give access only for amount of period and not for for always and maybe only one month and so on. So all of this can be integrated using at the left, can be connected to an ERP or CRM system or e-commerce systems. So everything works automatically and no one needs to log in on, on somewhere and give manually any rights. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I hope that that, that, that helps. Uh, I think showing a, a diagram is easier than explaining all of this. Uh, yeah. yeah like, that, that's right. Yeah, it's um, it's well explained with that visual. And now, uh, and right, uh, before I move to my next question, I can I could you just please uh show the audience again that map that you just showed at the beginning because 
I've read that uh, some some people in the audience did not have the opportunity to see it very clearly. Okay, you see it? Oh, uh, it's loading. Ah, uh, yeah, we can see. It. All right. So yeah, so so that's the digital ecosystem you were talking about, uh, with the possibility to produce um, the part anywhere in the world and to get it locally. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And um, that's really opening up for uh, many different benefits uh, yeah. that we've been into, but that's something we haven't discussed too much. Uh, I mentioned the sustainability part. Mm -hmm. And of course, the digital inventory is perfectly fit for a circular economy model together with additive manufacturing. First of all, you can reduce the amount of raw material that you use both in the process itself by building from nothing to the components you need, but also by reducing physical components that you actually have to purchase. Then you also reduce outtake of new raw material. And if you do that, you also reduce uh, CO2 emissions related to extracting uh, raw materials. Uh, in this model, you can reduce transport as you see, you can transport it digitally. Uh, within uh, operations and maintenance, uh, you can reduce uh, the physical inventory. You can extend lifetime by using additive manufacturing techniques to repair components, for instance. And uh, you can also improve function. So therefore, you can increase the efficiency of rotating equipment. Your turbines could be any piece of equipment. and by increasing efficiency, you can reduce fuel consumption and therefore reduce the CO2 emissions and even the NOx emissions. And the last area that we see now is that there is a possibility of going from scrap metal directly into 3D printing powder. There actually is a company from Italy called Fenice. They have a technology to do this. And therefore we can close the circuit and use recycled uh, metal powder as a feedstock locally um, when we produce the parts we need. So it's really interesting how this actually fits into a circular model. And this actually then again leads to a higher resilience when it comes to getting the parts that you need. Because you have no borders to cross, you have no factories uh, in countries far away. Uh, so you have control of everything uh, locally. and. Uh, then you have no borders that can close and uh, you have as i said um uh, you can even get the feedstock locally by uh, recycling uh, scrap metal so that means also for us this new model means a higher resilience when it comes to getting the parts we need Thank you, Brad. Uh, at present, uh, should we fear the termination of certain jobs with digital inventory or a significant skills gap, Alvaro? Yeah, so I believe this is um, a transformation. It's a, a very big step. So we will need that um, if, the want, if we don't want to be afraid of losing jobs so the, the current needed in the production i think it needs to start in very early stages for example mm -hmm. from the school that the kids already have some some possibilities to learn about new technologies and then of course at later at universities or, or places at a professional level we need to prepare people to the to the new paradigms paradigms of the in the world the mm -hmm. new new technologies Mm -hmm. So I think there, there, this is a big transformation and we need to, to get prepared for it, to, to have the people, the skilled people. Yeah. Thank you, Alvaro. Um, and uh, before I move to the, the last question, I would like to ask, ask if for regarding uh, quality assurance and uh, qualification and safety case, what is the next challenge to address with regard to this respective field, to, to this topic, sorry? Uh, yeah, that's an, I think that's a very interesting question. Um, I think in terms of material quality and part quality, that's something we have quite good control on. There mm -hmm. are there has been done a lot of research uh, uh, defining all these materials, and we have methods of testing. 
Uh, and I, I really think the next challenge is, uh, for example, the, the uh, creating the trust between between the OEMs, the manufacturers, the end users. Mm-hmm. How can we we actually show that yes, the same part is printed in another country. Mm-hmm. Yes, an OEM can trust the manufacturer. Uh, all of these uh, steps, if if um, if yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, that's the, the main uh, the main challenge because uh, in terms of material quality, I think that's uh, of course there are some issues there, but I think they are easy to solve when you have the right tools and the right methods. Yeah, but, but really getting all the uh, all the parties on board and and having, for example, OEMs see that yes, we can make money on on different in different countries. We don't have to be located close to the manufacturer to trust that he is uh, producing of, of high quality. Yeah. I think that is. And I think in addition to that, I think uh, uh, monitoring mm-hmm. uh, with additive manufacturing, we have a lot more monitoring possibilities than we did before. So that means that uh, you don't have to send the person to a manufacturer to stand and look at the machine if it's printing correctly. Mm-hmm. You can use the monitoring data to qualify that, yes, we see that these data are consistent. We see that uh, uh, what you're producing is uh, giving uh, consistent results, and we can qualify the part. All right. So I think also that is one of the the challenges to yeah, yeah the, the digital qualification machines. All right. Well, it looks like we have no questions from the audience. Uh, uh, so I would like to ask Bray. Uh, yeah, Alvaro. I saw I saw once uh, I saw somewhere someone wrote um, regarding security. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Or do you want to 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 talk about later or or it's now? Yeah, actually, <laughs> all right. But it is. It looks like it was a message direct <laughs> directed to you. So so Rolof is. Um, ah. Okay. Yes. So, so maybe my, my Rolof, is if, or, if you can still hear us, if you have any. any it's a good point. point. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, so, so the question was if, uh, or he wrote that there is the Secure Distributed Additive Manufacturing, SDAM, mm-hmm. Alliance, mm-hmm. and they are looking after security in the, the yeah, AM supply chain. chain. So exactly. After- and we, we know that because some of our customers are on this alliance. Oh. And we have also customers which are not part of this alliance. So, so okay. Some customers, they need a fast solution. They need already to, to start with something. So there we can help until we have more like standard solutions that, and then when they, when other companies start seeing that there is a standard solution, there are standard solutions out there, they maybe start to join and also implement the standard in, in, in their machines and so mm-hmm. forth. Yeah. All right. But Thank thanks you. for the for the contribution, Olaf. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Alvaro. Um, so uh, any before uh, Brett uh, share his concluding thoughts, uh, class, Alvaro, do you have any questions that you would like to ask your co-panelists? Hmm. Good question. <laughs> good question. I think we have covered uh, a lot of interesting topics today, and I think it's a lot of things that needs to be discussed. But but I think we have actually touched upon the the, the key elements here. Uh, All right. Don't necessarily have a question. Yeah, great. You have. To I, would, I would like to ask Alvaro a, a question. Um, you mentioned also the 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 way to safeguard the IP rights. Uh, with, we can use, of course, many different technologies, but um, in the uh, field made digital inventory that I'm uh, chairman for, we are uh, using blockchain technology uh, to uh, use that for track and trace, and uh, also to safeguard that the ownership uh, for the digital content is actually locked, so that it's. Uh, difficult to uh, steal or to uh, tamper with uh, the design uh, and so that you can also ensure that you actually own your your own design so have you considered the using blockchain as well um so in i i'm leading two two different projects one research project and one customer project and not in this project but i know that other colleagues are, are working in this in this topic um yes and but 
maybe what we need to to differentiate here is that one is the if you are able to manipulate something and the other problem is if you can access something so if mm. something as i said at the beginning if something is digital and you get you receive the file um yes you don't have the control if you, so if you have the digital design or if you have the build the build job and you have the machine then you can just produce all what you want mm -hmm. so yeah so i think that part would solve the the authenticity part with the yeah, but not the confidentiality part so for that we need and and the secure counting i, I said before that would need to also have a way to control that directly in the printers. Mm. Yeah. Um, Alvaro, there is, a, there is a remark from Mark, not really a question, but Mark is saying that he actually addressed this IP issue uh, yesterday and how he play, it will play out is still an issue in a less qualified way he might have. So, so that's not really a question, more of a, more of a point. And um, so he said, no machine, no factory justified and subsequent print. So it, it, it looks like uh, maybe people do not have the right skills to address this, um, this IP issue. Do manufacturers require some specific training some regarding the security and IP uh, program? Yes, in the middle, you have the pre-processing part. So maybe um, the engineering part, as I mentioned before, is not just taking the STL file, the design file and send it, send it to the printer. You have pre-processing know-how and you, you need to learn how, uh, what is the best orientation or if you're doing your nesting, you are doing this, this, uh, support for the parts. So there is, there are um, some companies and universities also working on software to do this more automatically. And mm -hmm. there are many software providers today already doing a lot automatically, but we know from research projects that, that um, there is also a lot of research on that field to, to do more and more automation, but, but there are still like uh, know-how either in the software or today in the people doing that. Yes. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the people using the software by hand and doing a combination by hand and what the software automatically offers the, the, the options. Maybe you use, you click on the, on the nesting option in the software, but maybe that's not the best for the production because maybe depending on the position, if you are at, 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 in the middle or somewhere else, you, you will have some, some differences. So there are, there, there is from what, what we know from the projects, but most from research projects because they are addressing these these big open questions. Um, I know that there are there is also intellectual property in these engineering parts in the middle, the pre-processing. Mm -hmm. And if we do more and more software to automate, it means now the intellectual property is in is in this so in this software. So if you have in the in the graphic of Brit, this like a some kind of cloud service that you just connect and order the files. If you also have pre-processing or you have something on this on this cloud solution, then you also would would need to protect this this because this is your intellectual property as software running there. So that's why I wanted to stress out. It's not just the, the design; it's also the processing mm -hmm. know-how and um, maybe the material configuration as well. Mm -hmm. Also a, a relevant topic, yeah. And the software that you are using to do the pre-processing and on the machines. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Alvaro. Oh, Brett, any last comments regarding the next challenge to address in your respective field of activity regarding this topic? Yes, I tend to get that question uh, from suppliers uh, that we have a dialogue with. Uh, should I just go out and buy a metal 3D printer? Uh, and I said, that is the last thing you should do. <laughs> First, you have to build competence. That's really step number one. And uh, in a way, that uh, doesn't require a lot of uh, CapEx money to invest in, uh, in equipment. But build competence and understand the opportunities and also the risk. The, um, uh, problems with uh, or issues with uh, 3D printing. Uh, it's not just uh, plug and play all the time. Uh, that is really important. Um, and the other area is that 
the old business models that we are using, the contracts models and the incentives that we have in our contracts, they might not work anymore in this new way of, of working. Let's say see what happened in the music yeah. industry from producing CDs to actually being fully digital. And yeah. in a way, we are going through the same mechanisms. And yeah. how are we going to ensure that all the suppliers earn money in within the digital space compared to selling physical components? That's really something we need to look into together. How can we uh, ensure good uh, new uh, business models? And the other areas I think is important is that being connected, we will see new collaborative models and also a closer uh, relationship between the end user and the supplier. And that can also give us some very positive effects in that we can design better uh, equipment faster. So, so we really can't see the full picture of where we will end up because it's so different from where we are now. So we can just really start the journey and um, look forward to a uh, transformation that can really uh, do things in a completely new and better way. <laughs> Thank you, Brad. Oh, any last words from you, Alvaro? Um, I would like to add to this transformation that um... Yes, many, many customers from us, they, they said they were years ago more like a hardware company. They were selling different machines different with different capabilities. So they had a lot of logistics costs and had to distribute these machines. And now they are moving to converting more um, a software company. So the, the hardware is the same and they are enabling features on demand. Mm -hmm. So this is also an interesting point in, the, in, in all this that they also to, re to reduce all the logistic and you have the same hardware and depending on what the people buy, they get the rights to, to use w more or less features. So this is also um, yes, new, new kind of sell products um, for some, some OEMs that they yeah. were used just to, 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 to sell hardware. All right. Thank you, Alvaro. Oh, well, that's it. Thank you for joining us, gentlemen, for this virtual panel dedicated to digital inventory and what to do to implement it within an additive manufacturing production environment. Uh, thank you to the audience for joining us. Thank you for your contributions. Um, I will now close the panel and uh, I would like to wish you uh, a very great end of day. And uh, stay safe and stay tuned to the next virtual panel uh, dedicated to mm -hmm. one vertical industry or within the additive manufacturing industry. So stay safe and stay tuned wherever you are in the world. Okay. Bye. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Thanks Thank you. for the invitation. Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye.